James chapter number 1 in your Bibles this morning. Once you've found James 1, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word. And we're going to look at verses 2 through 4 and then verses 12 through 15. 2 through 4 and then 12 through 15. We'll pull the title of the sermon out of verse number 2. And so let's, um, I'll begin in verse 2 and then we will read the odd numbered verses uh, down through verse 2 through 4, and then we'll skip down and we'll read 12 through 15. Verse 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptation. Together, verse 2, or rather, I'm sorry, I read 2. Let's read 3. Here we go. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Skip down to verse 12 with me. Verse 12, let's read together. Ready? Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Together, 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then let's read 15 together as well. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. The title of the sermon this morning, again, we get out of verse 2 that says, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptation. The title of the sermon is this, The Joy of Temptation. The Joy of Temptation. Now that might seem like an odd title. I don't know that I'm jumping up and down for joy when I'm in the throes of temptation. But the Bible says that you are to be joyous when you fall into divers or diverse or various temptations. So how do we rejoice over being tempted in the, when we're tempted to do wrong? Let's look at that this evening, or this morning rather, and uh, let's, uh, let's be encouraged because I know all of us face temptations day in and day out. I've been tempted this morning already to do wrong, and so how do we, how do we win against temptation, and then how do we show joy in those times of temptation? Let's pray. Lord, help us today as we endeavor to understand, boy, Lord, a topic that affects all of us greatly. Everyone here, day in and day out, is tempted to sin. And Lord, oftentimes we, we do sin and we give in. Sometimes we get it right. Lord, we all want to get it right more often than we do. And so, Lord, as we approach this topic, help us to come with a heart that's eager to learn and understand and, Lord, eager to make changes that will help us to win the battle against temptation. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, the story is told about four high school boys who, in the middle of uh, spring, with about two months of school left, they developed what is commonly known as spring fever. Now, for adults, that's allergies. For high school kids, that's the desire to skip class. And so these, uh, one of these four boys had a car, and so he picked his buddies up, and they decided they were going to skip school, at least for part of the day. So the four of them skipped school. They're joyriding around town and, uh, you know, just getting into trouble and being mischievous. And so a little bit after lunchtime, they showed up to school. And they told their teacher, they said, uh, boy, we're sorry, we're late. We, uh, we got a flat tire on the way into school this morning. And that, uh, you know, that just derailed the whole day. It just set off a bad series of events. And we we're late to school. Well, to their joy, the teacher seemed to have bought their story and said, all right, well, you guys missed a quiz in my first period class. And uh, she said, I'm going to give you that makeup quiz right now. All right, sit down. And she sits the boys down in the room. 
She said, all right, you got out a piece of paper? Okay, question number one, which tire was flat? <laughs> Be sure your sin will find you out. Um, what is the difference between temptation and trials? You know, they, they both have some things in common, don't they? Temptations and trials. Well, let me seek to try to define temptation and then trial and uh, by way of introduction, try to contrast the two for us before we get into the, the meat of the message on temptation. Temptation can be defined this way. Persuades to evil, deludes that it may ruin. It leads one's evil desires, um, leading him more or less unconsciously into sin. Temptation, the motive behind temptation is to get you to live in Sin and so temptation is is like you know, have you ever walked down a, a long hallway with windows on both sides and it's like you're walking down that hallway and there's a hand coming through the window saying jump out the window come out the window come out the window right it's that lure to get you to try to do something that might be adventurous and might seem exciting but inevitably is going to lead to your d- demise and you're hurt. Whereas trials, trials are defined this way, a spiritual test, a um, situation that seeks to discover one's moral qualities or character. Sometimes God will run us through a difficulty, a trial, and in that trial, the Lord is seeking to refine us. He's seeking to make us better. He's seeking to improve our character by putting us through a situation that is difficult. Uh, it, uh, t- uh, trials aim at man's good, making one's conscious, uh, making one conscious of his true moral self. By the way, trials don't build your character. Trials reveal your character. Trials reveal your character. Uh, someone once said it this way, when a cup is sitting still, you may not know what's inside of it, but when you bump the table, what's inside the cup is going to spill out on that table. And who you are on the inside, you may uh, keep it all together real well and come to church and smile and look the part, but when the table of life gets bumped through a trial, what's on the inside of you is going to come spilling out on the outside. Trials reveal who we are. But long term, God is trying to reveal to us who we are so that He can uh, re- uh, help us refine ourselves and make ourselves better. Now, here's one way of looking at the difference between temptations and trials. Temptations are Satan-driven. Trials are God-driven. Temptations are satan Driven trials are God driven. Satan is never going to run you through a trial. He's not. That's God's territory. God puts people through trials. Uh, uh, God is never going to tempt you. That's not what he does. We'll look at that more in a moment. Satan's domain is temptation. God's domain is trial. Now notice this. Satan tempts us to get us to do wrong. God puts us through trials to get us to do right. Satan tempts us to get us to do wrong. The Savior tests us to get us to do right. And watch this though. In both scenarios, the choice is up to you. The choice is up to you. Whether you pass a trial or fail a trial, that's up to you. Whether you uh, say no to temptation or cave to temptation, ultimately, that's up to you. We're really, really good at pointing the finger and blaming everyone else and everything else 
for our problems in life. But the truth is, if you're failing in life, if you fail, fall to temptation, if you give in to sin, uh, while there might be um, uh, details or there might be past uh, that contribute to why you are the way you are, uh, you might not, uh, feel that you are a victim of your circumstances. God calls us to rise above our circumstances and to grow by Him and to be strong in the face of trials, to be strong in the face of temptations and to win those battles. I believe every Christian deals with their own personal, customized set of temptations in their life every single day. Now, quickly, let me say this here. Um, When you see someone give in to sin that you don't have a problem with, you better not wag your finger their direction and be judgmental toward them because you probably have a sin struggle in your life that they don't have a problem with. You see, we look down on people because they do this, that, or the other. And in the Christian world, we seem to label some sins as, you know, worse than other sins. Well, I don't, I don't smoke, I don't uh, chew, and I don't run with the crowd that do. And we have this attitude that because I don't struggle with this, that, or the other, that makes me better. But you struggle with being pious and arrogant and proud. And uh, um, you, you struggle with being a Pharisee. And you have your own set of struggles. Maybe you're stubborn. Raise your hand if you're sitting next to someone who's stubborn this morning. Amen? All right. In some cases, both the husband and wife raise their hand. I do offer marriage counseling. Amen? Because my wife and I have a lot of experience, both of us being stubborn. So we know all about it. Um, But you have your own set of struggles, right? And uh, listen, we all deal with our own personalized set of temptations. i got to just say this morning, uh, like many of you, when I fall to temptation over and over and over and over again, man, that is discouraging. It's tough. You, You ever lay in bed at night or maybe have a moment alone while you're driving down the road or just sitting in your home, and you think, I am never, ever going to get past this. I am never going to be able to beat this. Whatever it is. And you, you get down on yourself. And oftentimes, we can kind of give up the battle and say, well, you know, I've given into this temptation for 10, 15, 20 years, or sometimes decades, if you're maybe a, a little more seasoned in life. And you think to yourself, I've struggled with this my whole life. There's no use in me even putting up a fight Anymore, I might as well not even try. But God says that through the Spirit of God, we can overcome temptations. And not only should we uh, fight against temptations, we should joy at the thought that Satan would try to tempt us to do wrong. Again, James chapter 1, verse 2 says, "...to count it all joy when we fall into divers' temptations." Now, uh, quickly, for those of you here that don't know what the word divers means, usually when I read that verse, I will pronounce it as diverse. And I had a church member come up to me after church. I won't say the church member's name, but her initials were Cheryl Smith. Amen? And (laughs) she said to me, "'Pastor, you're mispronouncing that word.'" She said, it's not diverse, it's divers. I said, I know what it says. I said, but all my childhood, I would see that word divers, and I would get the picture of somebody standing on a diving board, right? Diving, and what does divers mean? And so one day I looked it up, and it basically means diverse. So I pronounced it diverse so that 
children don't fall into the same trap I did. Amen? And uh, adults don't fall into that trap. Um, I have a picture of mine, sometimes a cartoon mine. And so, uh, but d- diverse temptations where we fall and we're tempted and we struggle uh, with these temptations every day. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, words it this way. It says, the sin which doth so easily beset us. That word beset means to in, in, in camp or in circle. Imagine that you're standing by a campfire and you've got all these tents around you and inside these tents are people that come out every now and then and they tempt you. Imagine you're walking home at night through a dark alley and all of a sudden a gang comes out from that alley and they surround you and begin to move in close on you and you feel like there's no way out. There's no way of escape. And in the throes of temptation, it can feel just like that. Sin's got you surrounded then there is no way of escape. The last thing you want to do in that situation is be joyous. But God says here through the hand of uh, James, he says we're to be joyous when we fall into diverse temptation. So this morning, let's look at five thoughts on this topic of the joy of temptation. Notice point number one this morning. Notice the birth of temptation, the birth of temptation. First of all, from our text in James 1, notice that temptation did not originate with God. Temptation did not come from God. Look down at verse number 13 with me. James chapter 1 and verse 13. The Bible says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So when you are tempted, don't you dare stop and say, God, why would you tempt me? Now, I know in the crowd this morning, there's somebody who knows their Bible uh, just enough to be dangerous, and they're thinking, well, pastor, doesn't the Bible say that God tempted Abraham in Genesis chapter number 22? And yes, the Bible does say that God tempted Abraham. But then the Bible says here in James 1 that God does not tempt any man. And the answer to that is you have to look a little bit below the surface in Genesis and understand that God did not tempt Abraham. The root word there for tempt is the word we would get test or try. He ran him through a trial. He was trying his faith. God does not tempt us to do wrong. If you're facing temptation, it does not come from God. James 1 could not be any more clear on that. Satan won the biggest battle when it comes to this area of temptation way back in the Garden of Eden. Hold your place in James 1 and turn back with me to Genesis chapter number 3. And let's look at verse number 13. Genesis 3, 13. If you don't know where the book of Genesis is, would you raise your hand? Everybody knows where Genesis is. Okay, good. It's the first book of the Bible. Amen. It's right after the table of contents. Amen. Okay, so I heard someone say one time, I believe every word of the Bible. I believe it from the book of uh, table of contents to the book of maps. Amen. And everything in between. And so, um, uh, so uh, the book of Genesis. Look at Genesis chapter 3. And we find here the story of Eve in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And Satan slithers up in the form of a serpent next to Eve, and he tempts her to do wrong. Here we find the very first time that mankind was tempted with sin, as it's recorded in the Scriptures. Look at verse 13. The Bible says, And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. God is holding Adam and Eve accountable for their sin. He says to them, Adam, Eve, Where did you get those clothes? 
And they say, well, we, we put them on because we were naked. And God said, well, who told you that you were naked? And did you eat of that fruit? And Adam looked at it and said, it was the woman that thou gavest me. Deflect, deflect, deflect. Not my fault. Not my fault. God, it's her fault and it's your fault for giving her to me. Where would men be if it weren't for women? In the Garden of Eden. Amen? I couldn't help myself. I had to get that one in there. God looks at Eve and said, uh, God looks at Eve and said, What did you do? And Eve says, It was the serpent that beguiled me. That beguiled me. Where did temptation come from? It came from the devil. The word beguile. The word beguile means to deceive through trickery. In the New Testament, the Bible tells us that Eve was deceived, but Adam sinned knowingly. Eve was deceived or beguiled. Eve fell into a trap, but Adam very well knew what he was doing. Eve was deceived through trickery. And you know, that's what Satan does. He slithers up next to us still. Sometimes he does it through our flesh. Sometimes he does it through the television or Facebook ads or a news feed or social media. Sometimes he does it through peer pressure at work or a neighbor. Sometimes he does it through a youth group or he does it through all sorts of various avenues and he tempts us to do wrong. He gets us to fall into a trap. He beguiles us. The birth, of temp- the birth of temptation came from the Garden of Eden, and ever since Adam sinned and Eve sinned, the father and mother of all living, we're all born with a natural desire to do wrong. Now, quickly here, uh, it is not natural for you and I to do right. It is natural for us to do wrong. There's this, there's this, there's this wicked philosophy that says that children are born into this world good, and the world corrupts them. And I say that is 100% false. Children are born into this world with a desire to sin. And if you've not had a child yet, trust me, as a parent, I'm going to tell you, my children came out of the womb kicking and screaming and crying and pitching a fit. Why? Because they thought they were entitled to their, the warm womb of their mother. And it wasn't very long till my children were lying. They were lying before they could even speak. I can remember at 2 a.m. having uh, Matthew in April scream and cry in the middle of the night. And you walk in the room and you pick them up and they immediately quit screaming and crying. How many of you have uh, understand that children are very manipulative? Can I tell you that some of us never outgrow being manipulative, do we? Some of us are still pretty manipulative, aren't we? We're just more sophisticated at it. Manipulation is just another way of lying, is it not? Oftentimes, not in every case, but oftentimes. We're sinners by our nature. Sometimes Satan slithers up to us and he directly tempts us or he'll send a demon to tempt us. Oftentimes, though, our flesh is where we're tempted. And we have patterns and habits that we've fallen into, right? Those patterns and habits have us ensnarled and entrapped, beguiled. The birth of temptation. Number two, notice the bowing down to temptation. The bowing down to temptation. Little William, rather, little Willie's mother found him with his hand in the cookie jar. And she said to him, Willie, what are you doing? 
And he's, he replied, I'm fighting temptation. I'm fighting temptation. Have you ever looked at a person and thought to yourself, man, that guy is crooked. That's just a crooked person. You ever met someone and thought that? I read a quote this week I thought was good. It said, the thing that makes men and rivers crooked is following the line of least resistance. Following the line of least resistance. When we cannot put up a fight and say no to sin and we give in and cave and give in and cave and give in and cave, just like a river, that makes us crooked. Crooked. You look at someone who's a crooked person, they're crooked because they don't know how to put up a fight against the temptation to do wrong. Look back with me at James chapter 1 and look at verse number 14. James chapter 1 and verse 14. The bowing down to temptation. This is the constant caving, the constant giving in. The Bible says in James 1.14, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. The Bible makes it clear that being tempted is not a sin. However, giving in to temptation is. Take your Bibles over to Psalm chapter number 7, or rather Proverbs chapter number 7. Proverbs chapter number 7. Turn over there with me if you would. While temptation will find the most prudent of men, it is very unwise for you to put yourself in places where it is easy to be tempted. I had a man in a Spanish church I pastored in Maryland who lived in inner city Baltimore and with his wife and two daughters and uh, this man had a problem with alcohol. He drank all the time. In fact, I'd get called over to his house in the middle of the night because his wife and daughters were scared of him. And they were here in the country illegally, and so they were nervous about calling the police, so they called their pastor. And So I would have to go over, and it's a good thing that uh, this gentleman was about half my size. I was able to handle him. But I'd have to go over, and I'd have to stand between him and his family, and uh, I'd have to put him up in a hotel a couple of times until... He could dry out, and I'd have to counsel this man. He'd come in and see me regularly about his alcoholism and his struggles with alcohol. And One of the reasons why this man had such a problem with alcoholism is that he lived right next to a bar. Right next to a bar. And I, and I told him, I said, uh, you need to move. I said, you're making it too easy when time gets tough to, times get tough at home to just walk out the door and walk across uh, the, the street or walk next door to the bar and go in and get a drink and you need to move. And, um, uh, you know, uh, you have those struggles. You need to not put yourself in a place where it's easy to fall down. To go back to little Willie, if he doesn't want to fall to temptation, if he wants to fight temptation, then you shouldn't put your hand in the cookie jar to begin with. Amen? Look at Proverbs 7, look at verse number 6 with me. The Bible says, For at the window of my house I looked through my casement, and behold, among the simple ones I discerned among the youths a young man void of understanding passing through the street near her corner, and he went the way to her house in the twilight in the evening and the black and dark night. And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of an harlot and subtle of heart. You read on down in the passage and you find that this young man ends up going into this harlot's home and uh, and uh, sleeping with this woman and giving away his purity uh, to this woman who is looking to draw him in and entice him. Now what happened was this young man had a 
fascination and a curiosity with sin. And he wanted to know what sin was like. He wanted to know what was going on. I don't believe that this young teenage boy, when he began down this road, had any desire to give away his purity. I think he just wanted to go down and find out what it was all about and see what was going on. I can remember being a young man and having this fascination and this curiosity with sin. My parents were very limited in what they let me watch on TV and very limited with what movies they would let me watch. One day I had some time to myself and I wandered into a a movie store, a blockbuster. How many are old enough to remember blockbuster? Those aren't around anymore. Now it's Netflix and all that kind of thing. But I remember walking into a blockbuster by myself. I was in a parking lot area with a group doing some shopping and I was able to kind of wander in there. I can remember picking up movie cases and looking on the back to see what they were rated and why they were rated that. And just having that fascination and that curiosity with sin. This young man, I never did watch any of those movies, but if I honestly, if I could have, I probably would have. I was void of understanding. This young man walked down this road just to see what was going on. He put himself in a place to be tempted, and sure enough, a harlot comes around and she smells real pretty and she looks real pretty and she throws her arms around his neck and she begins to kiss him and she begins to say that we can do this and get away with it and nobody will know. And he bows down to temptation. You say, what's the answer? Did this man need more self-discipline? Did this man need more self-control? Did this man need more uh, ability to walk away? No, this man needed to never walk down that road to begin with. If he had never put himself in that place, he would have never given away his purity. Many people think, well, I just need more self-control and self-discipline and I could uh, get brushed right up next to sin and I wouldn't give in. I would not fall. And sometimes the answer is not more self-discipline. Sometimes the answer is more self-honesty of knowing what I can and cannot handle and steering clear of what I know I can't handle. Proverbs chapter 6. Are you there? Look down at verse number 27. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? What's the old phrase? If you play with fire, you're going to get burned. If you play with fire, you're going to get burned. And um, a lot of people think, well, you know, grace. I can do what I want. God's going to forgive me. Yep, that's true. God's going to forgive you. But God's not going to remove the consequences necessarily from your mistake. You teenagers, listen up to me. Look up here. Look up here. You go and live a life of pumping drugs in your body and fooling around with the opposite sex and playing around with sin. You turn around when you're 25 or 30 and you come back to church, ask God to forgive you, He's going to forgive you. You boys go and get a young lady pregnant out of wedlock. God's going to forgive you, but you're still going to have to pay child support. You girls go out and get pregnant outside of wedlock and have two, three babies by different guys. God's going to forgive you. You're still going to have to deal with the nightmare of having to raise those two or three kids without a dad in your life. You be careful. God will forgive. That does not mean that there isn't consequences from your choices. 
God has a much, 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 much better plan for your life. You have to yield and trust. You have to yield and trust. Some people think that grace gives them a license to sin. No, my friend, grace gives you the liberty to live free from sin. Instead of seeing how close we can get to sin without falling in, we ought to be steering clear of it. You see, we bow down to temptation when we put ourselves in a place where we can be tempted. Sometimes the way we stay away from temptation is by changing our friends and changing our venues and changing who we spend time with and changing what social media influencers we allow in our life and changing uh, uh, what we go about. Sometimes the, uh, the, the actions are more radical. We give up a smartphone or a device or we add accountability to those things in order to make sure that we stay right with God and we stay right with our fellow man. Sometimes the way we don't take the cookie out of the cookie jar is by putting the cookie jar in a place where it's hard to get to. Number three, we see the bankruptcy that accompanies temptation. The bankruptcy that accompanies temptation. Look down with me at James chapter number 1 and look at verse number 15. Back to James 1. Here we see the Bible says, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. We see the digression here in sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. Lust brings sin. Sin brings death. Lust brings sin. Sin brings death. Someone may say, Pastor, I've been struggling with the sin for years and I'm still alive. So this verse must not mean much. This verse must not be true. I, I've been living in the same sin for 30, 40, 50, 60 years and I'm still, I'm, I'm here, I'm listening to you, Pastor. So, um, you know, is maybe the Bible exaggerating a little bit here? And the answer is no, it's not. We must begin by properly defining our words. What does death mean? Death means separation. Separation. Now, we are oftentimes unilateral in our thinking. We think in a two-dimensional way. Well, death means physical death, and it doesn't mean anything else. My friend, there's a lot more death out there than just the loss of life. By the way, I want to make sure I say this. All of us one day will die because all of us are sinners. What was the condemnation on Adam when he ate the fruit? God told him, the day that ye eat that fruit, ye shall surely die. Now, did Adam drop dead that day? No, but his soul died that day. That's what we call spiritual death. Spiritual separation. Adam got to live to be 930 years old. It's a long time. But you know what? Adam is dead today. One day, my body will be laid in a casket, just like yours will. You say, Pastor, why are we all going to die? Because we're all sinners and we live under a sin curse. Sometimes, though, rampant sin can speed up the process of death. Usually, before there's physical death, there are other deaths that lust and sin bring about. How about this one? Financial death. 
Some of you here never have any money because you waste your money on sin and covetous, riotous living. You always want the latest, greatest this and the latest, greatest that. You're putting this substance in your body and that substance in your body. And you know what? Being an addict is expensive. And I'm not just talking about drugs. You can be addicted to buying things off of Amazon and eBay. You can be an addict to food. How much money do we spend eating out day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year? I'm preaching it myself on some of these things too, folks. My, my mom tells me that back when, when she, she just turned 60 this year, I don't know if I was supposed to say that out loud, amen? <laughs> mom, if you're watching, I'm sorry. Um... She tells me when she was a kid, the culture was that you went to McDonald's maybe once a month. Maybe. Right? They hardly ever ate out. You generally ate at home. I would guess if we were to take a poll in here, we'd probably eat out on the average of two or three times a week as a church family. And I'm not throwing stones at anybody. And if you can afford to eat out, eat out. But some of you have a hard time paying your bills every month and you're racking up credit card and you look at the credit card statement and where are you spending your money? Outback Steakhouse, McDonald's, Longhorn, right? You want a steak? Go get a hot dog and eat a tube steak, amen? <laughs> Financial death. How about spiritual death? I'm talking about lust bringing sin and sin bringing death. Some people feel so away from God. They feel that God does not hear their prayer. I'm talking about people that may even be saved. They feel that they're in a dark place. My friend, you get up day after day after day and you just keep laying down and giving in and wallowing in the pig pen of sin. The Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Your prayers are just bouncing off the walls. Oh, He still loves you. Think about a parent who is a child who's wayward, an adult child who's wayward. And the parents reach a point where they cut that child off until the child's truly repentant. Here we are living in sin. We do what we want, when we want, how we want, with who we want. Make sure we're listening up. And, and God, God just says, you know, I'm going to let you do you until you're ready to repent from your sin. And then we'll have a relationship again. He, he doesn't cut us off from salvation. But boy, He lets our sin take its natural path and break us. Lust brings sin. Sin brings death. Not only spiritual death. How about social death? You ever met people who just always seem to be burning through friends? You know, they, uh, their, their, their relationships always seem to be high drama. Right? People get so fed up and tired of them, they just have to cut them off and say, I can't have you in my life anymore. The sin that you have yourself involved in is wearing me out. I, I look at our homeless community and I hurt for them. By the way, don't you ever, ever, ever judge someone who's homeless. The Bible says we're to have compassion on those that don't have. I look at people that are homeless. 
And I think to myself, how far gone must they be to where everyone in their life says, I just can't have you in my home. I can't have you even sleep on my couch. I would rather you sleep on the street than make my life any more worse off than it is. And I know that's not every homeless person, but it is many of them. You know, many of these people battle with mental illness and struggles, and they need Christians to show them love and kindness and compassion, not some pharisaical attitude where we look down upon them and think less of them. How dare you? Why? Go get many of them are so mentally unstable, they cannot hold down a job. They need us to love them. Sin brings about a social death. Some of you in here have a friendship, a relationship that's in a bad place because there's sin that has hurt that relationship. Sin brings about emotional death. I, I see people that have many, especially in 2021, I see people all around our culture today that have all sorts of emotional disorders. And listen, I understand there oftentimes are chemical imbalances and people are born with uh, uh, things that can cause them to have emotional struggles. And so we'll put that in its own category, okay? And I understand there's some people that are that way and has nothing to do with, with uh, other than just living in a sin-cursed, sin-fallen world. But directly, again, so we've got that crowd. Let me talk about everyone else. You know, when you live a life of sin, it warps and twists and hurts you emotionally. Some people are depressed because they have so much sin in their life that sin is depressing them. Some people are filled with anxiety and worry and fear because they have laid down to their temptations and they have experienced what the t- bankruptcy that accompanies temptation and they are experiencing what I'll call emotional death. What happens when we just lay down to sin? Eventually it's going to bankrupt us. It's going to bring death to us financially. It's going to bring death to us spiritually and socially and emotionally. And then lastly, the one that we seem to think of when we think of the word death is physical death. One of the largest freshwater turtles in the, is the uh, alligator snapping turtle. This, um, this animal is found in the southeastern United States. These massive turtles have been known to weigh up to as much as 250 pounds. Imagine a 250-pound turtle, all right? They're carnivorous, and while their diet is primarily fish, they have been known to eat things as big as small alligators. The alligator uh, snapping turtle relies on a uniquely deceitful method to catch its prey. Listen, tell me if this doesn't sound like the devil and, and us with sin. The turtle will lie completely still on the floor of a lake or river with its mouth wide open. At the end of the turtle's tongue is a small pink worm-shaped appendage. The turtle wiggles the end of its tongue so that it looks like a worm moving through the water. When a fish comes to eat the worm, the turtle's jaw rapidly closes, trapping the fish so that it cannot escape. Now, similarly to the snapping turtle's lure, temptation comes in the guise of something desirable. But it always carries destruction with it in the end. If we could see the end result rather than the tempting part, it would be far easier to resist. But Satan knows this, so he cleverly disguises 
what is deadly in the guise of something pleasurable. Put that quote on the screen for me, Brother Joe. Every temptation is packaged with the same lie that if I succumb, it will make me happier. It will make me happier. I look at that woman, that shapely woman walking down the road, and I let my eyes wander onto her. That will make me happier. Heard about a man who was checking out a woman in the mall. His wife was standing right by him. Without even looking up, she said, Was it worth all the trouble you're in right now? I'm having a rough day. If I could just have a beer, I can let my sorrows be gone for a few hours. So says the alcoholic who's got cirrhosis of the liver. If I could just have one more cigarette, my anxiety would go away for a little bit. How about that lung cancer that's coming? Just chew that tobacco just a little bit more. My worries and cares would be gone. How about that tongue and mouth cancer you got coming? You see, we, we think for just a little bit, if I can enjoy this sin, my life will be better. But what we don't realize is we're rotting away the core of who we are. We're bringing about a slow, gradual death. Sin always bankrupts. Every single time. The old adage is that sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you far more than you want to pay. You have your outline there this morning? Let's say the alliterated word together. Ready? Here we go. Number one, the birth of temptation. You see it there? Number two, the bowing down to temptation. Number three, let me hear you. The that accompanies temptation. Number four, the battle of against temptation, the battle against temptation. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter... Well, let me read it for you. 1 Corinthians 10.13 is a verse we're familiar with here. It says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you uh, to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. God has provided for you in each and every situation and out when you're struggling with sin. I remember being a little boy and going with my mom to the grocery store. And I remember coming to the checkout counter, being 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old. And I remember at the checkout counter there being magazines with sleazily dressed women on the covers. My youth hormones, a rage, I'd want to just stand there and stare at these women in their immodest state. You say, Pastor, you're filthy. Every man in the room knows exactly what I'm talking about. Every man in the room, if I'm guilty of anything, it might be being a little too transparent. But every man in the room knows exactly what I'm talking about. You know what I had to do? It was very hard. We get to that area, I'd have to just go stand over by the exit and wait for my mom to check out the groceries. There have been many times where my family, my wife and I have wanted new furniture for our living room. 
We, uh, the furniture we have in our living room has always been given to us or bought from a thrift store. And uh, soon we're going to end up buying new furniture. But we're waiting for a couple of things. Number one, for us to have finances in place to do it in cash. Amen? That's important. And two, for our kids and our dog not to ruin our new furniture. Watch this now. You know how I avoid buying new furniture? I don't go in furniture stores. You see, you're going to have to make some changes if you're going to win the battle. You're going to have to make some changes. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, what settings are you in when you fall to temptation?" He said, avoid them. What props do you have that support your sin? Eliminate them. What people are you usually with when you sin? Avoid them. He went on to say there are two equally damning lies Satan wants us to believe. Number one, just once won't hurt. We all know that it's never just once. And then, once we've destroyed our lives from the just once happening over and over again, he said, number two, now that you have ruined your life, you are beyond God's use and might as well continue enjoying your sin. Those are the two lies that Satan tells us. If you would this morning, take your Bibles to Psalm 119 and verse number 9. Psalm 119. And let's look at verse number 9. These are verses I memorized when I was a teenage boy and in the throes and battles of trying to overcome temptation and lust and sin. Um, I went to a counselor to get some advice and some help at a, at a teen event and I was taken to these verses and encouraged to memorize them and I did at a young age. Look with me at Psalm 119 and let's read from verse 9 down through verse number 11. Let's read these verses out loud together. Could we from 9 all the way down through 11? Is everybody there? Ready? Here we go. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? With my whole heart have I sought thee. O let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Amen. You want to cleanse your way? You want to fight the battle? Boy, you need to not only eliminate that which is wrong, you need to fortify your heart with the Word of God. I was talking to a man and woman who had adopted several children. And they were talking to me about generational sins that come along with a child that you adopt. And they told me, they said, one of the things we do to help a child that we've adopted, who we know struggles with, is going to struggle with generations, generational sin, is before we adopt that child, we learn everything we can about the mother and father. We learn all of the baggage and struggles that they have. And then we put together a list of Bible verses and Bible lessons about those struggles. And as soon as the child is old enough to start memorizing, we have them memorize those Bible verses and we teach them those Bible lessons in order to prepare them to defeat those generational curses. I asked, I said, is it effective? They said, it has been very, very, very effective. You see, my friend, there is no temptation that can take you that isn't common to man. 
You're here today and you think, this struggle that I have, this battle that I have, it's so uh, uh, large, it's like a Goliath standing in the valley, and I'll never ever defeat it. Amen, Brother Tom? Preach that he's got the facing Goliath class. And um, uh, By the way, go to one of our life groups. If you didn't make it out this morning, what a great start we had. But you may think, I'll never overcome that. And I will say to you that if you will stand against and fight the battle with that temptation, God will help guide the rock that will destroy it. I'm just going to put it right here on the bottom shelf this morning. Many of us are not willing to do what is necessary to defeat sin in our life. Let me put it real low on the bottom shelf. What if God said that in order for you to get rid of your sin, you have to completely get rid of social media? Now, there's nothing sinful about Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. There's sinful things on their, those platforms. But in and of themselves, they're no more sinful than a television. But what if God said, in order for you to defeat temptation, you need to completely eliminate your social media? Some of you aren't willing to do it. All right, I'm going to take it another step further. Are we all right? Are we okay this morning? What if God said, in order to defeat your temptation, you're going to need to get rid of your smartphone? Pastor, it's my appendage. It's my third hand. What would I do without my smartphone? You want to preach next Sunday? Amen. Now, I have a smartphone. I'm not preaching against smartphones. But some of us, the only way we're going to overcome the sin in our life is maybe to either limit the usage of that smartphone, add some accountability software to that smartphone. Teenagers, you ought to be giving your parents your smartphones before you go to bed at night. Because there's a lot, that, a lot of trouble you can get yourself in if you have that. It may be that you need to switch jobs. You know... Um, a lot of affairs happen with coworkers. By the way, that's the world's term affair. The Bible's word is adultery. Would you be willing to quit your job if it meant saving your marriage and staying out of sin? Watch this now. If you don't make radical changes, you're going to keep losing the battle. Someone says, Pastor, I keep losing to these temptations. I don't see the out. I don't see the escape. If you're not willing to take the gigantic escape, the gigantic exit uh, uh, off that freeway because you want to keep the conveniences in your life, you're never going to win the battle. Now, I'm not the Holy Spirit of God, and I can't tell you what extreme changes you need to make. But you can get on your face and you can follow the leading of God in your life to make those changes. Someone once worded it this way, when you flee temptation, be sure you don't leave a forwarding address. Amen? Number five, and lastly, we come back to the title of the sermon, The Joy of Temptation. Notice the blessing from avoiding temptation. The blessing from avoiding temptation. Now, the foolish man puts himself in a place where he, foolish man or woman, puts himself in a place where they're tempted all the time. Right? They're like my Spanish buddy who lived right next to the bar and wouldn't move. 
right? But sometimes, even when we're taking all of the precautions, temptation still finds us. And so when that comes and we learn to stand up to it and we learn to defeat it, there are blessings that come. There's a joy that comes when we win the battle. Let me give you, well, let's look at verse number 2. Look at verse number 2 with me. James 1, 2. My brethren, count it all joy. Can we say those four words out loud together? Ready? Here we go. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Look down at verse number 12. Look down at verse number 12 with me. What's the very first word of verse 12? Ready? Here we go. Blessed. Blessed is the man that endureth temptations. Now, let me give you three joys that accompany the defeating of temptation. Notice letter A. Your trust is tried. Your trust is tried. Look down with me at James 1, verse 3. James 1, verse 3. Look there. It says, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. The trying of your faith worketh patience. In 1999, John F. Kennedy Jr. flew a small airplane from New York City to his family home in Massachusetts for a wedding. On board was his wife Carolyn and her sister. Though Kennedy was a licensed pilot, he had not yet been approved for instrumental flight, um, uh, which is the use of instruments to navigate. When their takeoff was delayed until after dark, Kennedy should have waited for daylight or sought a more experienced pilot to help. Yet Kennedy took off into the darkness. The plane never reached its destination, and all three passengers were killed in the crash. Investigators determined that the crash was likely caused by disorientation from flying over open water at night without any landmarks or visible horizon. Watch this now. Kennedy's lack of experience may well have led him to trust what he thought he was seeing more than what his instrumental panels were telling him. Now here's the application. All of us face the temptation to walk by sight and not by faith. But faith in God keeps us from crashing. Faith from God keeps us from giving in to temptation. When we say no to sin and we say yes to righteousness, our trust is purified. Our trust is is tried. Why? Because human reason will fail us at times, but God never fails. His Word keeps us on the right course as long as we obey it. Letter B, we see your patience is made perfect. Your patience is made perfect. Look down at James chapter 1 and look at verse number 3. The Bible says this, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Look here, but let patience have her perfect work or her maturing work. What happens when we are tempted? What happens when our, we're, we're tried through temptation? What happens is that our patience is made perfect. How many of you are with me, I'll raise my hand for this, and say I am not naturally a patient person? Would you raise your hand? I'm not naturally a patient person. How many of you didn't raise your hand and you should have? That's all the rest of you, okay? You know what a lot of temptation is? It's wanting to have something out of order and out of time. You know, it's um, wanting to have something before God wants me to have it. And saying no to my flesh... 
and waiting on God's timing teaches me patience. Teaches me patience. You know, patience serves as a protection against temptation. When I just say, Lord, I'm going to be patient and wait on you. And what happens, it's like putting on more layers of clothing in the cold. You know, the colder it gets outside, the more, the more layers of clothes you need to put on to keep yourself protected from the cold. And the greater the temptation, the more layers of patience we need to intentionally put on to keep us into falling into that temptation. Letter C, we see your, your contentment is complete. Your contentment is complete. Look down at James chapter 1 and look at verse number 4. The Bible says, But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire. Let's read those last two words together. Ready? Wanting nothing. Wanting nothing. Billy Bray was a Cornish miner, rather, a Cornish miner who accepted Jesus Christ as a Savior in 1823 at the age of 29. He lived a life of drunkenness and debauchery before his salvation, but he became such an outgoing witness and testimony for God that he became known as God's glad man. Billy Bray, God's glad man. One time, Billy was digging potatoes from his garden and felt the devil oppressing him. It seemed to him that the devil said, Billy Bray, God doesn't love you. If he did, he wouldn't give you such puny potatoes and so few potatoes. But Billy Bray didn't listen to the devil's temptation. He talked back to him. How many of you ever talked to the devil out loud, right? You just kind of, I'm going to give the devil an earful right here. He said, I served you long enough, devil. And no better servant could a master ever have been than I was to you. But when I served you, you didn't give me any potatoes. He said, when I served you, you didn't give me anything good at all for all of my efforts. Billy Bray reminded himself that the burden he had serving Christ was lighter than the one he had serving the devil. The yoke that he wore in partnership with and submission to Jesus was easier than the yoke he wore as one of the devil's disciples. Billy Bray once said this, he said, I would rather be in hell with Jesus than in heaven without him. For hell with Jesus would seem just like heaven to me. And heaven without Jesus would seem just like hell to me. What a statement. You know what he was saying here? He was saying, when I'm, in ta- when I'm facing temptation, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. You see, when you endure temptation, you win the battle against it. What you find is that your trust is tried. Your faith is made perfect. You find that your patience is perfected. You find that your contentment is enough. God is enough for you. This morning, are you, are you losing to temptation on a regular basis? Maybe there are some changes you need to make. I can't tell you what changes you need to make. Only the Spirit of God can tell you that. But I want to ask you this this morning. Are you willing to make changes no matter how extreme they are? If it means living a life of victory free of sin. Those of you here that have had a bad attitude toward temptation, can you begin to see the way James did 
that there's joy in fighting the battle and winning against the temptations that we all see every day. Let's have our heads bowed. Let's have our eyes closed this morning. How many here today would say, Pastor, I'm maybe not all that I ought to be for Christ. But one thing I know that I am is born again. I've put my faith and trust in Jesus alone to be my Savior. If I were to die right now, not based on what I've done, not based on who I am, but based on what Jesus did for me, I know if I were to die right now, I know that I would go to heaven. That's my testimony. If that's you, would you slip up your hand right where you are? You know that you're saved. You know you've put your faith in Jesus to save you. Who here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, I don't know that if I were to die, I'd go to heaven. The truth is, if something were to happen to me on my way home from church or I were to die in the next 24 hours or I were to die right here in my seat right here right now, the truth is I really am not sure where I would spend eternity. Pastor Lejeune, would you pray for me? as I battle with this. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand right where you are? I don't know where I'd go if I died. Pastor, please pray for me. I see that one hand. Is there anyone else? How many here would say, Pastor Lejeune, I don't know. Maybe maybe you do or don't know the changes that you need to make, but how many of you would say, Pastor Lejeune, there are changes, not all the same, that need to be made in my life. I need to start winning the battle against temptation. I need to start seeing the joy that comes from winning those battles. Pastor Lejeune, would you pray for me that God would help me to fight the good fight of faith? If that's you, would you slip your hand up right where you are? Pastor, please pray for me. I know there are some things that need to change in my life. Pastor, pray that God will show me exactly what changes to make. How many here today who say, Pastor, I'm going through a tough time in my life right now. There's hardships in my life that are heavy. I just need to know that my pastor's praying for me. If that's you, would you hold up your hand right where you are? Going through some hardships. Please pray for me. Hold them up so I can see your hand. I want to make sure I pray for you. Lord, help those who raised their hand just a moment ago that are hurting. Lord, to know your hand of rest and comfort in their life. May they not run to a coping mechanism other than prayer other than your presence. Lord, may they find rest and peace there. Lord, I pray you would calm the storms in their life, but if you're not going to do that, calm them through the storm. Lord, temptation is something everyone in here faces every day. Lord, help us to see the joy in winning those battles. For the one who raised his hand a moment ago about salvation, may he get that matter taken care of before it's eternally too late. Lord, would you do a great work in our midst during this invitation? May there be true repentance from sin. Lord, may we get our hearts right with you. May we develop plans to win battle against strongholds in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.